Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Thank you, folks. Good morning. And thanks to Frank and to Jim. Excited for the renewing of the Renewed Store and uh, that's last week's message, if you were here. Can you, re- can you remember the phrase, tuhu-va-vuhu? We enter, into, we enter into the wild and the waste. We are agents of repair, and it's what the church does, and it's what followers of Christ do. And those who are struggling with life, those who are, are broken and in trouble, uh, we're there to help. And the Renewed Store uh, is a part of that there, and in a very very important part of what our church is about. So, more news will come, particularly in January, as we get ready to relaunch in February, but excited for all those who can put their hands to the desk and help, and uh, those who will in January step up also, maybe think about serving and and helping all that happens. And Harvest Fest, yeah, that's my first time ever at Harvest Fest here. I'd heard about it. It was good to come and see it. And uh, uh, I think the folk who won the best fancy dress costume were these guys here. Uh, (laughs) That's John and Amy, and that's Scooby-Dooby-Doo, okay, Uh, Shaggy and Velma. And uh, I I was there too as well, and I was was dressed as a Scottish executive pastor. But uh, great folks, well done. And over in Porterville, uh, they had a thousand people come to their Harvest Fest, the first time ever they've done that. So that blew Seth and Katie's minds as they minister over there in Porterville. So we are on the penultimate preach on the series, What If Upside Down Is The Right Way Up? And we're unpacking features of what it means to do, as Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. And this week, we're going to talk about an essential nature of living in the kingdom of God that is so contrary to our society and to our culture. And so, I'm going to spend this message highlighting it before I finish off the series next Sunday. So, let's get right in there, okay? The marshmallow test. This was an experiment that was conducted at Stanford University back in the 1960s. A group of four-year-olds were tested on their ability to wait. And they were brought into a room, and there was a table filled with marshmallows in front of them. And the experimenter then told them that he had to run an errand But if the four-year-olds could just wait before they ate the marshmallows until he returned, then maybe they wouldn't just get one marshmallow, they might get two or three. And the camera watched as the kids developed all sorts of strategies to enable them waiting, eating the marshmallows. Some sang songs, some began to tell themselves stories, some played with their fingers, some picked their noses. Uh, One kid actually bent down and began to lick the table where the marshmallows were, okay? But the researchers weren't only observing how many kids waited until he returned. Uh, The researchers went further. 
They followed the progress of each child from that four-year marshmallow moment right on into adolescence. And they learned that those who were able to wait as four-year-olds grew up to be more socially competent, kind of better able to deal with stress, and less likely to give up under pressure compared to the marshmallow grabbers who grew up to be more stubborn and indecisive, more easily upset by frustration and more resentful about not getting enough, they basically became Raiders fans, okay? <laughs> In fact, this is true. In the group of marshmallow tests, okay, the group of marshmallow waiters, those who could pause and not eat it, had SAT scores that were over 200 points higher than the group of marshmallow grabbers. And Daniel Coleman discusses this experiment in his highly influential book called Emotional Intelligence, and, he's, and he wrote these, these words, at the center of emotional intelligence is the ability to delay gratification and not live at the mercy of impulse. In other words, it's the ability to wait. Waiting is the master aptitude to experiencing the fullness of life in the kingdom of God. Waiting. So, how good are you at waiting? And we live, we live in a no-wait society. Like, you know, 5G or 4, 4, 4, 4G is not fast enough. Now we've got to have 5G, okay? Or express supermarket checkout lines. And I'm checking the basket in front of me to make sure she hasn't got more than 15 items in there, okay? Or, or can you imagine living without your microwaves? Jimmy John's Sandwich Place, they only order, they'll, they'll, they'll only order if they can deliver within five minutes, okay? Five minutes. Like... It's America's gift to the world, fast food. I mean, there's a blessing we gave the world, okay? Too bad it's not called good food. It's just called fast food, unless it's In-N-Out Burger. That's pretty good as well, okay? Uh, but buying things as well, you know, we all sign up for Amazon Prime. What? It's going to take us two days? I want it in one day now. Only in America can you get a pizza to your house faster than an ambulance, it's true. Only in America do drugstores make the sick walk all the way to the back of the store to get their prescriptions while healthy people can buy their cigarettes at the front. Only in America do we have drive-up ATM machines with Braille lettering. How good are you at waiting? So, you're at Save Mart. And the shopper in front of you, the shopper in front of you is having a catch-up conversation with the cashier. Do you, A, or are you, A, happy? They're experiencing authentic community. They're connecting. They've found a place where they can share and talk and listen to each other, and you're just content that they're in front of you 
they're having a conversation. Or B, you're rehearsing things that you would like to share with the cashier when it's your turn to go through her checkout. Or C, as you're simultaneously drawing the cashier a dirty look, you're frantically looking around for the fastest moving checkout line, and you'll be even willing to leave your two-year-old in line to run down there because it's moving faster. Waiting. Waiting. It's not just about your SAT scores. The ability to wait says much about your soul and your mind. Uh, Lewis Smeads was an insightful theologian. Uh, he was an insightful theologian. He was a lousy ladder climber. He was hanging up his Christmas decorations about six years ago. He fell off them and died. He was 84. So, I don't know why he was on a ladder in the first place, okay? But some of the things that Lewis wrote, particularly on forgiveness, were outstanding, okay? But listen to this quote, and I've got it on the screens. Waiting is our destiny as creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what they hope for. I mean, just pause. Not only, I mean, theology overlaps with sociology and anthropology and philosophy, and here is this profound theological sentence. Waiting is our destiny as creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what they hope for. And he goes on to write, we wait in the darkness for a flame that we cannot light. We wait in fear for a happy ending that, that we cannot write. We wait for a not yet that feels like a not ever. There's something very human about waiting. Waiting is something that God has placed within our humanity. And it may sometimes be the hardest thing to do but as it, it is intrinsically linked to being human, being who God created us to be. And waiting is a part of our Creator's design. And when we choose to rush, or when we impatiently grab, or when we do what our impulses desire, we go contrary to how God made us, and we cannot master the art of living by usurping the way that God designed life in His kingdom to be lived. Why? why? Why did God make us this way? Why? You're not very good at waiting, are you? Get to it, Gilbert. Hurry up, give us the answer, okay? Well, for you marshmallow grabbers out there, okay, let me give you three reasons. Number one, waiting gets us to see that there is a whole lot more going on than what we are doing. There is what God is doing. And you have to slow down to see what God is doing. Number two, 
waiting stops us from taking time or making taking time more seriously than eternity. And then number three, and this is my favorite, waiting ensures our bodies don't overtake our souls. Let me say that again. Waiting ensures that our bodies don't overtake our souls. So, this morning, let me go into the Bible, and I want to read a passage to you from uh, James uh, chapter 5. So, it's, it's the half-brother of Jesus, and he's writing to Christians, and he's trying to give them help in how to live, mastering the art of living. And we come to James chapter 5. It's the last chapter of his short book, and I want you to read and hear these words, okay? Verse 7 of James chapter 5. So be patient, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's return. Think of how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the ground and is patient for it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient and strengthen your hearts, for the Lord's return is near. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. See, the judge stands before the gates. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name. Think of how we regard as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance, and you've seen the Lord's purpose, that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Be patient. Wait. The, the, the Christian lives on a different timeline than everybody else. The Christian views reality different to everybody else. And you and I need to know a little of the context of James chapter 5 to see how incredible this instruction from James really is. So, listen in, okay? The beginning of chapter 5 is talking about the injustices that many of the Christ followers were experiencing as they tried to live a Christian life. Dishonest and dishonorable landowners were not paying the working Christian a fair day's wage for a fair day's work. Following Christ in the culture that James wrote in meant that you went to the low end of the food chain. Some would be put out of, their, out of their businesses. Some would lose their jobs. Some would be demoted just because of their faith in Jesus Christ. All of them were being stood on by the people that they worked for. And in this culture, the rich got richer and enjoyed lives of lavish luxury and opulence and self-indulgence. And the Christians in the early church were becoming the poorest of people. And James says that the rich were, in essence, mocking God. They were hurling insults in God's face. And while the Christians, who seemingly were following God, were, in essence, being condemned and innocently murdered, uh, uh, verse 6 literally says, you have condemned and killed the righteous man 
who did not resist you. And then, as James holds his pen, he then begins to say, verse 7, be patient. Now, you would have thought he might have shouted, be outraged, or start marching, or let the revolution begin. But he doesn't. He says, be patient. In other words, wait. Notice he doesn't say, give up in despair or call it a day, accept your fate. If being outraged would be sin, so would the, so would the opposite equally be sin, throwing in the towel. James says there is a different way that Christ followers look at the now and tomorrow. There is a waiting that Christians do, and that waiting is revolutionary. There is a way of living that displays that you've got life mastered. Live life holding to an eternal perspective, an eternal timeline. Now, if you've been with us for four of my last four preaches, we have been teaching that the kingdom of God, His rule and His reign, has now come. That's what we've been teaching. But this, this morning, I need you to understand, whilst the kingdom of God has come, it is also coming. It is not yet fully here, and we wait patiently for its full arrival. Jesus announced its arrival, but without doing a kind of theological teach this morning, when He ascended back to heaven and His leaving, the kingdom has remained, but it has not yet fully been realized that will happen in the second coming of Jesus Christ. So, we live in what theologians call the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. We live in the in-between times. We live with the kingdom of God having come, but we patiently wait for its fullness of coming. That coming day when Every injustice will be dealt with, and every false accusation will be corrected, and every pain will be removed, and every ache and every longing, righteous and true, will be filled. Our future is as good and as large as God Himself, the fullness of His kingdom, but it's not yet here. It's not yet fully come. And we know that. We know that because we suffer pain. We know that because we endure injustice. We know that because we live with deflated dreams. We know that we live with false accusations. Joy comes as we sang in the morning, but it's not yet the morning. We live with an ache for more and for greater, and we patiently wait. And as we learned last week, we patiently work for its coming. Now, stay with me again. Later on in the Bible, Peter is writing, and he writes these words in 2 Peter 3 verse 8. Do not be ignorant of this one fact, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. 
Another pastor tells the story of an economist who once read these words and got very excited. Lord, Lord, is it true that a thousand years for us is just like one minute for you? Yep, says the Lord. Then a million dollars to us must just be like a penny to you, Lord. Yeah. Lord, would you give me one of those pennies? All right, says the Lord. Wait here a minute. Wait. Something is going to happen. Wait until the Lord returns. So, time out. We're back up a mountain with James and Jesus. This time, it's not the mountain, the famous mountain where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, a great manifesto on what life in the kingdom of God is like. No, no, no. This time, we're not up the Sermon on the Mount. This time, we're on Mount of Olives just east of Jerusalem. And the followers of Christ are all there, and they're asking Jesus questions when suddenly a cloud of amazing brilliance covers them. And they watch as Jesus disappears into the shimmering folds of the cloud. And when the glow recedes, an angel appears. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, the angel says, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go. And since that day, James has lived the way that every single Christian needs to live, with the exhilarating expectation that one day, Jesus Christ, who went back into heaven, is going to one day return. It's the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's the Lord's return. Over 300 times in the New Testament, it speaks about the promise of Christ returning. One of every 13 verses in the New Testament. And in the New Testament, they use three different words to describe this one event, the return of Jesus. One word is called an epiphania. And an epiphania means an appearing or a manifestation. Another word is apocalypsis, which is an unveiling, a revelation of Christ's power and His glory. And the third word is perusia, which is Christ's physical presence, be, Him being alongside of us or us being alongside of Him. Now, in James chapter 5, there's all this suffering going on. There's all this injustice going on. And James, inspired by God, takes his pen and says, be patient, people. Wait. And what are you waiting for? Verse 7, until the Lord's return. What's that word? Perusia. The coming king of kings, the ruler of this age, is going to return and is going to come alongside of you. And when that happens, every wrong will be made right. Every pain will be no more. Every tear will be wiped away. There will be a rest from all of our burdens. Every wounded soul will be made whole. Every trial will be over. This is the hope 
that the Christian waits for, the certainty of this cataclysmic event, the truth of this coming reality, that's what makes us live in a different way than every other person, a way that is upside down in our society. Our society is grab it now, don't wait, get it now. And the Christian waits. Notice what this waiting is compared to. It's not compared to like the aimless waiting of like uh, Dodgers fans to win a World Series. Yeah. Jesus compares this waiting to the waiting of a farmer. A farmer. That's what he says. Think of how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the ground and is patient. Now, we can relate to farming. We live in a valley which relies on ag, and we watch the trees in winter. They're bare of fruit, and they're pruned and ready. Uh, um, I remember one time running through an orchard, and they had one of these blades that spun to cut the tree to the right size so the ladder can reach it. My buddy was with me. <laughs> he wasn't looking up. Right into the blade. Don't know how many stitches he got. And when we, we, we watch them in the spring as they fight the rains, and they start to blossom and allergies begin. But it's the promise of fruit. And then we see them in July, laden, fruitful. And you and I know that the farmer's patient work of pruning and thinning and spraying and irrigating then yields this invaluable harvest. This is disciplined behavior. This is active, deliberate activity. This is not something passive. Like, the, the farmer's not just hanging in there waiting for the fruit to come. And you and I aren't just hanging in here until the heavenly train takes us home. Christian waiting, as one writer puts it, is the continual daily decision to say, I will trust you, and I will obey you, even though the circumstances of my life are not turning out the way I want them to, and may never turn out the way that I want them to, but I'm betting everything on you, God. I have no plan B. Waiting on the Lord is saying, God is doing something. I cannot see it. I don't feel it. I don't yet know it. But I'm confident that in my waiting time, in this in-between time, in the moments of my life where I am suspended powerless between my present reality and a coming reality, God is still doing something in this in-between time. I've seen it in the kingdom that Jesus brought to earth and which He initiated, and I see glimpses of it now as the kingdom of God comes, but I know one day I'm going to see it fully. Waiting on the Lord is saying that this present time is not the sum total of my existence. God has promised me eternity and the coming fully of His rule and His reign through and in me, all of His glory. Waiting on the Lord is saying, despite my body's impulse to grab the marshmallows, living from within, from my soul, tells me that there is more. 
There is much more, and it's not defined by feelings, and it's not gained by pushing or manipulating or scheming or grabbing, but my soul tells me there's something richer and greater and better, and that God's timing in His fullness, that something better will come my way. And in the meantime, I wait. You wait through fall and winter and spring, and then the harvest comes. The best wine is the matured, waited-for wine. The wisest wisdom comes from the deepest studying, not the quickest answers. The greatest appreciation comes through things gained via saving hard and working hard and enduring to get. The best always comes after the wait. And you and I don't like to wait. And our culture teaches us you don't need to wait. You can just have borrow now. And the way of the kingdom of God is a way of living in the in-between where we have to wait. Listen to how one biblical writer puts it in Isaiah chapter 40. Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. I discovered and I learned this that ornithologists say that birds have three methods of flight. Some birds, it's known as flapping. Um, my backyard is on the, on the porch. There's a couple of flower pots that we've got, and there's one flower pot that a hummingbird loves the nectar. And so that hummingbird comes, and I see it two or three, three, three times a day, and you know, a hummingbird can flap for 70 times a second. And flapping keeps you in the air, but it's a lot of work, and you often don't get very far. That's first out, flapping. The, the second kind is gliding. And birds build up enough speed, and then they coast, they glide. But it's always downwards. Very graceful, but it's still downwards, because they can't beat gravity. Gravity always wins. And then the third is known as soaring. And only a few birds, like the eagles are capable of this here. Their wings are strong, and with them they can catch the rising currents of warm air thermals. Upwards of 80 miles an hour, they can soar to great heights. Those that wait for the Lord shall mount up with wings like eagles. So why do so many Christians flap? The thermal of God's Spirit, the rising currents of God's promise and power. There is a way of living that comes through waiting. It's a way that has learned that we cannot by ourselves bring about what we hope for. It's that waiting is for Christ the King. 
even in trials, even in suffering, no matter the circumstances, you don't need to flap around. You don't need to always glide downwards either. You and I are invited to soar because it comes through waiting. The master aptitude of those who follow the king of the kingdom and work for its final and full coming is the capacity to be patient and wait. May that be the thumbprint of your life, that you're able to wait patiently. Let's stand for closing prayer as we come back next week and finish it off. And as we stand, God, we ask for forgiveness for our impatience. Forgive our hurry and our rushing and our grabbing and our insisting on getting it now. Change our thinking, Lord. Help us understand that in your design, in humanity's nature, waiting is good for the soul and the mind but remind us what we're waiting on, the fullness of your kingdom coming and the glory of the King being revealed among us. When rights are wronged, where injustice has gone away and your glory reigns, help us, God, become patient people. We pray for patience in the process of finding a new senior pastor some who want to see it rush, some who want to see it happen by tomorrow. Lord, help us wait. The patience individually in our lives as we live in this in-between. And life isn't always what we hoped it for. And we can't make it what we want it to be. May we meet with you there. And may our greater vision of you and eternity change our lives. May we learn patience so that our bodies don't overtake our souls. Come, we pray, and help us in this real hard battle. Christ's name, amen. amen. See you all next week. <laughs>